Good morning, church. I am amazed that we live in a very advanced world. All kinds of technology is at our hands. We are an advanced nation that solves problems quicker than problems can be created at times, it seems like. With all this insight and technology and modern-day marvel, I still struggle with finding a lid for my Tupperware containers to put my leftovers in. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Yeah, thank you, yeah. I don't know what it is about trying to find that magical lid to fit the magical container. It doesn't matter how often Jenny or myself organize that cupboard more her than me and make sure that everything is perfect as it should be. But when I open up that cupboard, there are still 10 containers and 10,000 lids, and none of them match. There must be a little gremlin in there that when we close it, it's like, I'm going to mess them up. You know? And then the next thing you know, I go in there, it's like, that doesn't work. That won't work. Maybe I'll just use some saran wrap. And, and then finally, I got the magical lid, and there's much rejoicing, right? Why, why is it so hard for something so simple, right? I mean, every time there's a leftover, there's that, I can do this. I can do this, you know? Oh, boy. Well, I don't think it just has to do with leftovers. I think there's a lot of things in life that we are seeking and we are searching, trying to find the right answer. And sometimes it's more challenging than other times. And other times it's pretty easy. But this morning, as we look into Scripture, we're going to talk about finding and seeking and getting the right fit. And to do that, obviously, we're going to be in the book of John. But before we go there, I want to throw a quote your way from St. Augustine. He said this, Thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. See, it's, it's, it's not just in my home, nor is it a local thing or a national thing or a worldwide thing. It's basically universal that we're all seeking for something and we can't find it. I believe God has placed in us a God-shaped hole in our heart that only he can fill. And we search for the right fit. <laughs> Maybe... Maybe this will work or this will work. This, we find all, looking for all these things to make that right fit, even for our own heart. And we search and search. But here's the thing. There's only one thing that can fill that God-shaped hole in our heart, and it is God. And when we find that fit, there is much rejoicing, right? Our soul is restless for peace. We're often seeking and searching. Maybe this thing will make me happy. Maybe this person will make me happy. Maybe this object will make me happy. Instead of searching for God who brings us that peace and that joy. But nobody's seeking. Well, at least that's what the Bible says. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10 to 11, it says this. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. Look at that last one. No one is seeking God. Paul tells us, and actually it was Isaiah that said it before him, 
In 1 Corinthians 2.14, we also have this situation where like, well, there's people in this world that don't even get it. They, they look at the Bible and they're like, I don't get it. I won't read it. They're seeking and searching, but they're not looking. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.14, when people who aren't spiritual, they can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them. They can't understand it for only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. When we have that moment where we invite Christ into our life and His Holy Spirit in us, then we now have the opportunity to understand the truth of God's Word. And as we seek and search and we find Him, our eyes are open. But those who are seeking for all these other things will never understand truths until they first understand and seek His truth. We're all seeking. Maybe we just don't realize that that's God whom we need to find. So in this next moment of history, in John chapter 6, as John, our author, is recording this, he reveals the heart of man and what we must do. Okay, so turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6, verse 22. John 6, verse 22. Let me give you a recap. After experiencing grief from the murder of his cousin John the Baptist, uh, Jesus heals and teaches the masses. He feeds thousands, cares for those in need. He needs some alone time. It's been a rough 48 hours, so he commands his disciples, once you get in the boat, go across the lake. I'm going to tell the, the crowd, I'm going to dismiss them to go home. And I'm going to go up to the mountainside, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to take time to pray. So Jesus got alone with God. His disciples were alone in the boat, and in the middle of the lake, they encountered a storm, if you remember the story from last week. But they weren't scared until What? Until they saw Jesus walking on the water to them. They, you know, the storm is coming. They've been through this before. But now they see somebody. They don't know what it is. Now they're scared. They really didn't, couldn't see Jesus for who he was. And I love that he walked on water. The water and the waves, as we talked about, opposed the disciples, kept them from getting where they needed to be. And Jesus was stepping all over them. Last week in the sermon I said this. Our difficulties, our opposition is nothing under the feet of our Savior. He uses the opposing forces as the path for his triumphant progress. And he steps on our problems to get closer to us. That's what he did in his story last week. And sometimes it's the opposition of storms that awaken us to our real need. The wind and the waves for the disciples opposed them, right? Sort of woke them up. But Jesus used those moments of opposition to come to his disciples. They didn't recognize him at first, and that's what happens. When we go through tough times, we don't think clearly it's dark. And we don't see Jesus for who he is. When you're in a dark place, and that's where Jesus wants to meet you, it's in our darkness, it's in our grieving, it's in our anxiety. It's in our worries that we discover a Savior who is tender and gracious and will come and meet us right where we're at. And sometimes that scares us. And then we also looked at this story and remember that when Jesus was on the water. They invited him to come into the boat. When he came into the boat, the wind stopped and the storm ceased. And I love hearing stories when people invite Christ into their life, how their life changes and the storms tend to calm down. They're, mo- they're uh, rowing, they're chirping, they're barking at each other. They did all they could do, but all they really need to do is just what? Invite Christ in. So we see this incredible story. And he once again calms the storm. They're three miles away from shore. They're in the middle of the lake. But in an instant moment, boom, they're on the shore. Another miracle takes place. Quite an amazing thing, right? 
So after a few hours of sleep, maybe, we don't know, it's not recorded, maybe they had some breakfast, we get to the next part of John. So John chapter 6, verse 22, let's read there. The next day the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw the disciples had taken the only boat. And they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats. They went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, we want to perform good works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one whom he has sent. As we look at this, the people whom Jesus had fed, they had been dismissed to go home, right? Jesus went to pray. They have the storm. They go across. But the people are like, we want more. So they all come back, and they probably shared with other people, and other people came with them maybe. But they got to where they were looking for Jesus, and they were counting the boats and figuring out where the, they took the boat across. Jesus stayed here, but Jesus isn't here. So where did he go? And they're trying to figure out the whole boating situation. They realize he's just not here. So they make their way around the lake. Again, it's six miles across, so we don't know the exact distance all the way around, but they moved around the lake. Now, when they got to Jesus and found him, right away they asked the question, Rabbi, when did you get here? We want to figure this out. Now, I love in this moment, in typical Jesus manner, he didn't answer the question directly, did he? When does he ever do that, right? Just read through the, the conversations that Jesus has and you'll see. He often doesn't answer with an answer. Sometimes he'll answer with a question or he'll redirect. Look what he does here. He knew what they were looking for. He didn't say, well, here's how. He could have done that. He could have bragged about his powers. Guys, when did I get here? This morning. You should have seen it. I left last night after praying, which you all need to do. And then I walked across the water, which you can't do. Because I can, you can't, I'm powerful. What do you think of that? Whoa. Right? They could have gotten, he could have all big on himself. He could have bragged about what he did. He could have said, look at my accomplishments, but he didn't. He also didn't point out their seeking. Rabbi, when did you get here? You guys are looking for me? Man, you guys are awesome. You're my number one fans. Thanks for coming out today to see me. I love you all. He didn't do that. He didn't brag on them. didn't brag on himself. He redirects things. He slams them actually with truth. He reveals their motives for what they're doing. You didn't come here looking for eternal life. You didn't come here looking for peace with God. You're hungry again, aren't you? He says this, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you. Not because of the miraculous sign. It says if Jesus is saying, you came... Because I gave you something. And now you want more. I get it. Everybody likes free stuff. So you want more. You got something good in your stomach, a handout, something free, you want more. I get it. You didn't come though because you understood the miracle. 
Oh, and by the way, what's the miracle? I can do all things. I'm God. But you don't care about that. You just want more food, right? Think about that. That happens sometimes. We often come to Jesus wanting more. What can I get out of this? What can, what can God do for me? Right? It's like he's a biblical Aladdin. Rub the Bible three times and you get three wishes, right? Do we sometimes approach God like that in his word? Pray the right prayer and you'll get your answer, right? Now remember that Jesus was with this crowd the night before. He just fed them. He knows what they're like. It's the next day. They're coming around. They're hungry. They probably didn't have breakfast. There might have been and somebody else say, hey, Jesus, this girl over here, she's got a couple uh, hash browns and five eggs. Dinner show. Do it again. Right? But he didn't. Now, before I criticize the crowd, which it seems that I am, okay, I have to do what I always do. I have to ask that question to myself. Why do I come to Jesus? Right? Sometimes we are quick to judge others, but then we got to stop and pause. And I have to ask myself, why do I come to Jesus? Why do I go to church? Why do I go to worship night? Why do I go to a camp? Why do I go to retreat? Why do I go to these things? When I come to Jesus, is it when I'm already satisfied and I just want to be in his presence? Or do I come to Jesus because I want something out of it? Do I come to Jesus because I have to? My parents made me come today. My spouse made me come today. My kids made me come today. Right? Maybe you came because you feel guilty if you didn't. Maybe you think somebody's going to be watching, right? And if I don't go, boy, I'm going to be in trouble, right? I, my mom, who is 87, she, um, she'll probably tune in and watch the podcast later and and so I better be preaching, right? Or I'm going to be in trouble. Hey, where were you? Why weren't you at the pulpit, right? Um, she's a good, good encourager for me. But I can't come here just to please somebody else. I can't come here just to get something for myself. Well, maybe my attendance, you know, will spark favor with God. Maybe if I sing even a little bit more louder, he'll be pleased with me, Right? Honestly, there are superstitions. I've been in church for a while. I've seen them, you know. I better go because if I don't, bad things will happen to me and so forth and so on. Listen, it's not wrong to seek after Jesus, to to, to say, I'm coming here because I need something from God. That's okay. What's wrong is, is when we place our focus so much on our needs that our needs are all about what? Ourselves. And we get out of focus with who God is. If you've got needs, bring them to them. But make sure it isn't all about the needs. Make sure you understand you are coming to God, who is the provider. We get so caught up in the provisions, we forget about the provider. Our solution is in Jesus Christ, not in our ability to articulate our problems to one another. See, when we have small groups, and if you're not in a small group, when we start up in the fall again, we'll encourage you to hop in some small groups. But when you're in a small group, you don't get in a small group just to whine and complain and share your problems. Let's go around and say why well, you had a bad week, and then we go around and we share, okay? But you don't stop there. 
from there you take a knee and you take those needs to God. It can't be a self-therapy group where we're all just trying to help each other because then we don't need God. Our focus must be on the one who can help us, who can meet our needs. So where's our focus? On what we don't have or or what we do have because we got so much of it? Or do you focus on Jesus who is? Hey, for the disciples, for the people, those waves were real. That storm was real. Their growling stomachs was real. And Jesus took care of all that. He is the one who meets our needs. But our focus can't be on the fact that we want stuff or the needy stuff. Our focus is on the one who can take care of the needs. And that is God and his son, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is just being real with these people. He's like, hey, the only reason you guys came back because you want more food. I get it. I get it. You want to be satisfied again. You want to be pleasured again. You think these people were pumped for that reply? They're like, uh, no, not me. No, I, I, it's not me. But Jesus looks at this crowd and calls them out. You don't want me for who I am. You just want to feel good. I get it. I get it. You want to be physically satisfied, emotionally happy. They may remember sitting around in the the grassy slope and they're eating that bread and fish that Jesus just multiplied and they're probably laughing and having a good time. This is awesome. This is great. And it's like, they want more of that. Who doesn't? Who doesn't want more of those good feelings in their life, right? So I can see that some of them maybe initially came back to Jesus for the wrong reason, but Jesus is going to help them point them out what they really need to be doing here. You know, this is, this is nothing new for mankind. We've always been seeking and searching and trying to find that kind of stuff that will help us, right? Possessing things, let me just say this about needs and possessions and all that kind of stuff. Those are not wrong for the Christian or for anybody, Okay. Let's get that straight. There's nothing wrong with owning private property, having toys, going on vacation. It's when those things become the focus and God takes the backseat. It's when the pursuit is for those things and not for a godly life. That's when we can get in trouble. Think about this. If I asked you about your bank account, does your bank account control you or do you control your bank account? Do your things control you? Do your things control when you worship God? How you worship God? Well, I can't meet with God right now because I got this stuff I got to do. So who's in control of your worship? You know, we often get wrapped up in things and we know we shouldn't do certain things, but we, we're just like those people. We want to feel good. I want to be fed physically. Love feeling good. But sometimes our feeling good, our pleasures are sinful. And people... Like our friends or family members, a spouse might say, you need to stop. Why are you doing that? Why are you pursuing that? And they warn us and they beg us to stop. And we don't see it as a big deal because we just want to keep indulging. We want to keep doing it because it feels good. For a moment. But in the end, we're seeking the wrong things. We're trying to fill that God-shaped hole in our heart with all these things things to make us feel good. And guess what? It doesn't work. So like these people, Jesus is just pointing out, I know you want to feel good. I know you came back for another meal, but I'm just pointing out that you didn't come here for that, 
for the right reason, and that is to worship. In John chapter 6, you might sit there and say, well, how do you know that, Rex? How do you know the hearts of these people in the wrong place? Well, as I read and I study, I see this. But let's fast forward a few verses. Because when Jesus gets done having this conversation, and Brian Hollinsworth is going to talk about the bread of life next week. He's going to finish off this passage. And then something's going to happen. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Turn to John chapter 6, verse 66. Ooh, that's sort of a scary uh, verse, isn't it? There's three sixes in that scripture. Some of you know that's like the evil number, right? Well, check, check out how bad this verse is. This is like one of the saddest verses in the Bible. It says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. So after Jesus sort of calls them out and then he says, I'm the one that you should be worshiping. And he explains why, which you'll hear more about next week. A lot of people are like, don't need you, Jesus. And they walk away from Jesus. One of the saddest verses in the Bible, as I just said, when God doesn't answer our prayers immediately, let me ask you, do we walk away? He didn't answer my prayers. Forget God. Or we're discouraged, or we feel like God's pointing us in another direction, or it's like, well, I know he wants me to do this, but there's no way, and I'm just going to walk away from this. We let go of God and we grasp on to the things that make us feel good because it's so much easier. That's why it's called pleasure. It's easy. In my years of ministry, I see it all the time. I see people with hearts on fire for Jesus. They're seeking, they're praying, they're worshiping, and then they lose interest because something else comes along that diverts them. They lose focus. And all of a sudden, they feel guilty. And so we feel guilty. And we're like, I can't go to church because everybody probably knows about what's going on in my life. Then we feel shamed. And then we sort of scoot away from worshiping God out of fear, out of shame, out of whatever it may be. We fear loneliness sometimes more than we fear God. We don't trust God enough to give up our pleasures, our desires, our natural, our, sorry, our material possessions. So, Jesus calls them out. This is what's going on with you. And sometimes we're like, what's going on with me? Right? Maybe I've lost my focus. So church, this morning, I want to encourage you, okay, with, with what Jesus is going to say next. Okay? Let this be an encouragement to you. Look in verse 27. So what do we do? Jesus makes it very clear. He says, at this point in time, we must just seek God. And we do it through Jesus. Look at verse 27. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Jesus basically tells them and, and, and us not to be concerned with the things of this world. Okay? The, the, the perishable things. Stop wasting your time and energy chasing the latest fashion, the, the latest gadget. That search will end in disappointment because it's endless. You'll never have enough. You'll never get enough. You'll never win enough. Tomorrow there's going to be a new update. There's going to be a new gadget. There's going to be a new fashion. You just can't keep up. And Jesus is saying, don't spend your energy on that because it's endless. Instead, spend your energy seeking eternal life that only Jesus can give. In the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, it says this. Jesus goes, I'm the way. 
I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. See, how do we know about God? It's through Jesus. How do we worship God? It's through Jesus. Jesus goes, you want the way to truth life? It's through me to God. In Jesus' day, a seal of approval, when he talks about I'm the seal of approval from my Father, what he's saying is, like on a document instead of a signature, they would maybe roll that up and stamp some kind of certificate on there, a seal on there. That would make it official that it was from that person. Jesus goes, I'm the seal of approval of my Father. He's put it upon me. I am He. It's authenticated. So Jesus says, seek me through God. Then He says this, seek me wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. Come to Him wholeheartedly. We must come. You can't come for anybody else. Okay? You can't do the work for somebody else that somebody else needs to do. No one else can come for you either. I often have people that are concerned about their loved ones and they say, you know, can you help me lead them to the Lord? I tell you what, you and I will do what we can to share Christ with somebody, but they must make the decision. I can't make the decision for your loved one. They have to make the decision. That's hard, but it's true. We have to come to God when we pray too. And it's up to you to do that in prayer. Rex, will you pray for me on this? Yes, I will. But I'm assuming you're praying too, right? Just as I'm going to pray, I want you to pray. Because here's the thing. God wants to hear from you too. I can share God's word with you every Sunday, but you need to be reading God's word too. See, seeking God wholeheartedly means you're going to tell others about Jesus. You're going to pray. You're going to read the Bible. You're not depending on a pastor or a teacher or somebody else to do it for you. Well, I just hear God's word when I hear it on Sunday. Please don't do that. You know, it's sort of like this. It's like a mama bird who goes out and gets the worm, right? Catches the worm, takes it back to the nest, sort of regurgitates it back into the mouth of the children, the baby birds, right? Until they get big enough, they go fly out on their own, Okay. A lot of times people in church do that. Hey, pastor, come spew God's word into me, okay? That's all the feeding I'm going to get. No, I, will, I want to feed you God's word, okay? But you're all old enough and smart enough to know how to get into God's word and start reading it too. You get to seek God wholeheartedly by sharing your faith with others, by praying, by reading God's word. Do it wholeheartedly. Matthew 5, 6 says this. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Don't look up on the screen yet. That's the next one. Sorry. To be truly hungry is to seek a bite to eat, right? How, how hungry and thirsty are you for God? Now, I'm not suggesting you do this, so please don't do this. I'm especially going to look at these young men in the front row because I know you, okay? But sometime when you're in the water and you go into water and you hold your breath, okay? Just hold it till you can't hold it anymore. But before you come up, count to two. And then have a friend stand over you and put their hand on top of your head and make them count to another two. Okay? That's what I'm saying. Don't you guys do this, okay? 
you're going to bust out of that water gasping for air. You're going to want it so bad. See, what we do is we're underwater, holding our breath. We're like, okay, I can't. We come up and we breathe. Like, no big deal, right? That's not thirsting for air. Thirsting for air is when you're underneath the water and you get held under and you get held under a little bit longer and that panic and anxiety starts to kick in like I've got to breathe and you just want to burst out of the water and you breathe. That's a thirsting and a hungering to breathe, right? That's the kind of thirsting and hungering we should have for God. We should desire and seek to want to say, I want more, right? Look at this golden verse then. Verse 28. It says, they replied, we want to perform God's works too. So now they're starting to get excited. They're like, okay, yes, yes. We, okay, we want to be thirsty. We want to be hungry for this. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one whom he has sent. Jesus just told them, don't be concerned about the perishable things. Don't waste your energy seeking after all these things. Spend your time coming after me. Spend your time seeking the eternal life that only I, Jesus Christ, can give you. He was giving them something, not bread, not fish, not new jobs, not new clothes, not a promotion, not a victory, not a vacation. He was giving them something and it was free. It was actually going to cost Jesus something. Have you guys ever been offered anything free? I get those phone calls every now and then that I want a vacation. Anybody get those phone calls? I love it. They're like, hey, we want to know why you haven't cashed in on your vacation that you won. You've got a five-night stay at a four-star hotel. I'm like, really? That's awesome. Really? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. You got my phone number, so you must have my address. So just mail that to me, and I'll check it out. Click, right? Here's the thing. I'm amazed. I've not yet received anything in the mail. I've got about 20 vacations somewhere. So if they came to your address, please send them to me, okay? But here... Here's, here's what, what it's happened. It's not real. It's a false promise. I've been told I got something coming my way. And it's not. Jesus is sitting there saying, my promise is true. I've got a trip for you that's out of this world, literally. It's called heaven. It's called eternal life. It actually starts right now, as soon as you believe. Not when you die, but right now. It's my promise to you, and it is true. Better than a vacation. Better than a car. Better than riches. Better than anything we can put our arms around. Eternal life. And what is their reply? What can we do? We got to do, do, do something, right? We got to do something, right? The rich young ruler said, what must I do to be saved? The, uh, the jailer, when the earthquake shook the jail, and he's like, he went to, to Peter, he's like, what must I do to be saved? What must I do? I have to do something right here. Here's the problem. If we do something, that means that God, God's work is nothing. If we do something, God owes us. He would be in debt to us, but that's not the way of salvation. It's not what we can do for God, but what God's already done for us. And he did through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And Jesus is telling them before the cross ever goes down, he goes, all you need to do is just believe that God has sent me to save you. Just believe. That's it. They were so focused on the provision, they lost sight of the provider. 
Jesus refocuses them. Our Heavenly Father knows exactly what we need, church. He knows exactly what we need. We've got that God-shaped hole in our heart, and he says, I want to fill it for you. So when you come here on Sunday, come and worship me. Because I'm the one that's going to fill that for you. The people, the coffee, the chairs, the music, the pastor, they can't fill that hole. But God can. That God-shaped hole in our heart cannot be filled by any person, any toy, any gadget, any any fashion. Winning a game, getting a diploma, reaching a certain level, um, whatever it may be, will never fill that hole. Only God can. So, go back to what I was saying in the beginning. We are searching. <laughs> and we are seeking, trying to find the right, the right fit. I want to encourage you, get your focus back on Jesus. Okay? He is a God of love. He is a holy God. He is a wise God. I ask the worship team to come forward. In our, in our search for Jesus, sort of like this. If you ever done a word search before, you look, find all these kind of words in there. You might see some words up there that might stick out there. They're sort of bolder than the other letters. You might see the word uh, money or boat. You might see the grade, getting the right good grade. Um, you might see car. You, know, you see a lot of words up there. There's a lot of things we can chase after in life, but there's only one thing we need to focus on. And that's Jesus right smack dab in the middle of our life. I want to encourage you as you, as you, life tends to clutter up things in our lives, doesn't it? Just, that's what happens in life. Like a good word search, stop and get focused on Jesus. When you come on Sunday, I want to encourage you, come and focus on him. Don't worry about your needs. It's okay if you got needs. We all have them. Okay. But focus on the one who provides for those needs. Throughout the week, got a lot going on. Slow down, focus. And instead of looking for that fulfillment, look for the one who fulfills. And our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're an awesome and mighty God. I thank you, Lord, for this day that we've been able to take aside a little bit of our time and God you gave us 24 hours today and we're taking just a little bit over an hour just to worship you and that just doesn't seem right when we say you are everything and we give you one twenty-fourth. you are incredible so patient with us and think about what we deserve we're no different than those people. I'm no different than those people. I was looking for a free lunch too. And I forgot to focus on you. That happens. But God, for myself and for many others that are here worshiping today, we really do want to focus on you. So God, I thank you. And we can come here today to focus on you, to, to seek you and not the things that you can give us but to seek you. 
not to focus on all of our problems and our worries and the things we're chasing, but to focus on you. Because that's what you really are reminding us about. Sometimes you sort of slam the truth right in our face and say, hey, why are you here? And that's a good time for us to stop and say, I'm sorry. I'm here to meet with you today, God. I'm here to worship you. So God, we want to worship you because you are a great God. You really are. All that you do for us, you are so amazing. So God, forgive us when we've lost sight of you, when we lose focus, when we focus on our on all these other things around us that we forget to focus on you. God, we love you. We want to sing to you now. We want to worship you now. In thy name we pray.